want to talk with you a little bit this morning uh, from the Gospel of Luke and uh, to invite you today to uh, think about with me about how God um, takes relationship and weds it into memory. And um, as we think about such things, we... You may have been to a family reunion. I, I grew up with a large family. My dad was one of 13 kids. And, um, a lot of, I was kind of the young end of my family. A lot of my family was much older. So had enormous numbers of cousins and uncles and aunts. And uh, we'd always uh, often have these family reunions. And one of the things I learned about family reunions is that when you get together for things like that is that you're often rehearsing the same stories, the same old jokes, the same shared memories, uh, remembering the pranks that were pulled between siblings, and on down the list it goes, because it's in the remembering of shared moments like that that, that relationships are forged. And you may have been out somewhere in public, maybe in a mall or uh, something uh, like that, and uh, maybe somebody's come and approached you, and, and they said, hey, and they called you by name, and you're looking at them, and you're drawing a blank. You don't know where you know them from. They obviously know you, and, and that's kind of an awkward moment. You know what I mean? Uh, there are times maybe on the reverse end. You walk up in public to somebody that you remember because you met them at the party or, or something, and you walk up and you call them by name, and you can tell with the look on their face they do not know you from anybody. There's a real strong connection in the way that relationships are built and the memories that are garnered there. That's partly why... Uh, with memory loss, for those, becomes so hard for us when that hits our family because we know that in the loss of memories, relationships uh, become um, in some ways diminished. Um, I'm so grateful that uh, the Strickers are here, a significant part of our church's life, and uh, uh, invited them to come and preach, but they declined. Uh, but. We're so glad that you're here. Welcome. Uh, the memory of you in this place and to so many uh, is such a, a blessing to us. And so we're glad that, that you're back for a visit. I uh, once, um, on my 10-year high school reunion, I, I got to go back to my hometown. And uh, when I did that, I looked up um, my first and second grade teacher. Uh, I had the same teacher in both grades. And she won some state awards for teaching. And I, I remember, I think, every one of my teachers from every grade uh, along my life. And uh, a lot of good memories about them. But this was probably my favorite teacher of all time, all the way back when I was six or seven years old. Her name was Mrs. Goodness. And uh, she earned every bit of that name because she was the epitome of goodness. And uh, so many great stories I could tell. But about 21 years after I had sat through her classes, I... Uh, I had been gone from my town for a while, and I knew I was going back with Susan to my 10-year high school reunion, and I called up Mrs. Goodness. I don't know how I found her number, but uh, I said, look, I'm coming in for my high school reunion, and I would love to, to come by and visit you. I realize you may not remember me, but I remember you, and I'd love just to come by if you're willing and, and just to say hello. And, and she said, oh, Bryce, I remember you. <laughs> now, did she really come <laughs> But in that moment, my little six and seven-year-old heart said, oh, it was amazing. And we loved, I loved going to introduce 
introducing Susan to her, just having a moment with her. It was really great because the memory is so strong in building and connecting us relationally. And uh, our story that we're going to look at this morning deals with relationship and remembering. And it's when Jesus is on the cross... And the Bible tells us the story that there were two criminals on either side and one of them looks at Jesus. And I think in that moment that we can honestly say that a relationship of salvation was forged and Jesus was asked if he would remember this man as they both went on to their eternal stations. And Jesus' response to him was that today he would be with him in paradise. It's because of Easter that we have the promise of eternal life. Open up, would you, to Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23, we're going to read the story beginning in verse 32. Jesus has already been led off to his execution, and it's already describing that scene. And Here's what the Bible says, Luke 23, verse 32. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with Jesus to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, there they crucified him along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They they said, he saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, the Chosen One. And the soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine, vinegar, and they said, if you were the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Remember me, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth. Today, you will be with me in paradise. Father, we pray this morning that in these moments that we have as we are opening your pages of your scripture, may your Holy Spirit open our ears and tenderize our hearts that we may hear truly and that we may be quick to respond faithfully as you would lead us now. We pray it in the name of Jesus together and all of God's people said. Amen. Amen. The promise of eternal life. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. The response, today you will be with me in paradise. I want to just drill down on three basic ideas of what the promise of eternal life is and how it comes available to us. Number one is that the promise of eternal life comes through Jesus himself. He said in John 14, 6, that I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. You see, Jesus knew that he had to go to the cross. In fact, in the early middle section of Luke's gospel, it says that Jesus 
resolutely set his face toward Jerusalem. It's an interesting little phrase, and it's something easily easily glossed over. But there was a point in his life and ministry where he knew that in his final year of ministry, where he was destined, and it was to Jerusalem, and he did not avoid it, he did not try to go a different route, but he went directly toward that goal, because he knew what was waiting in his final visit to Jerusalem. That's where he was arrested and taken off and ultimately crucified. Jesus in other places would say, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I give it to you and for you. And it's so important that we understand that the way of eternal life is through Jesus Christ. You might notice in this passage there are three different moments and three different groups that cry out to Jesus mockingly saying, save yourself. And we know that Jesus, he could have called down a legion of angels to come and pry him off of that cross. And he could have not gone forward with his death. But the fact that Jesus chose to not save himself allows him to be able to save you. The fact he chose not to save himself makes his death on the cross that he went through with it able to cover over your sin, so that your sin could be upon him, and his death could be an exchange for your death, and then in his resurrected life, because you've accepted his forgiveness on the cross, you too now have the promise of eternal life. You see, Easter is what helps us understand what eternal life is all about, because in Easter we know that Jesus raised was risen. What's the right conjugation? He rose from the dead. <laughs> I'm having a hard time with my English today. Jesus rose from the dead on Easter morning. And he did that as a first fruits, the Bible says. He is the first, he's the, the prototype of what resurrected life is going to be for all of those who also trust in him. So what is resurrected life going to be like for you after your death? We don't know, we're given a glimpse, but you look at the resurrected life of Jesus. And we're given promises through the scripture that those who have entrusted their life into the hands of Christ are given the promise of eternal life. Nowhere else is it found, the Bible says. Jesus himself said that I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Eternal life is made possible because of what Jesus has done on the cross. Number two. Are you with me? Number two. The hope and promise of eternal life is experienced through personal repentance. So it's made available, eternal life, through the work of Christ, but it's made real and possible in your life through personal repentance. You know, salvation and eternal life is not something you inherit because of your family affiliation. It's not something you get because you grew up in a particular place of the world. It's not something you get because you've known a particular human. It's something that is available to you only because you have known Jesus and you have experienced personal repentance. I want you to examine what happened with this interaction with this one of the criminals on the cross. And most scholars, I think most, would agree with this, that it seems like there is a moment here of personal repentance that is clearly laid out. 
that he confesses his personal sin. He, he rebukes the other criminal who's, who's uh, uh, mocking Jesus. And he says, do you not fear God? We, as criminals, are receiving what is justly due us for our actions. So there is a recognition of who he is and his own personal sin. That, that's an important ingredient to personal repentance. It's, it's laying down the claim that I am okay. It's laying down the claim that I have nothing to be forgiven for. It's laying down the claim that God accepts me because I've done a whole lot more good in my life than I've done bad. That is not the Christian way. That's the way of a lot of other people and a lot of other philosophical thought and, and spiritual and religious thinking, but it's not Christian thinking. It's not the way of Jesus. He says that it, is, it comes to us through repentance. One of his very first words in the Gospel of Mark, when he shows up on the scene, he says the kingdom of God is at hand. And what's he say? Repent and believe the good news. Repent and take on the good news. What is repentance? Repentance is a word that describes I've been living my life walking this way and I'm repenting. I'm turning around and now I'm walking in a different direction. I've got a new pathway. There's a new road ahead of me. Repentance is, is recognizing that the things that have informed my thought up until now out of my sinful pattern of thought and behavior, I'm laying those down so that I can take up the cross of Christ. I, I'm laying down my old life so that I can put on the presence of Jesus in me. So Christ in me becomes, the Bible says, the hope of glory. Christ in me is what shapes my life to now live the life that God has for me. I once was walking this direction with no thought of God, no thought of who Jesus is, no sense of my own sinfulness before God, no thought of repentance or the need for confession, but God got a hold of my life and I've turned around and now I'm walking with Christ and life is now opened up to me in a way that it never has been before. There is the criminal confesses personal sin, so he recognizes who he is before a holy Christ and then he recognizes who Jesus is. He says to the other criminal, he says, we are getting what we deserve, but this man, Jesus, has done nothing wrong. There's, there's a recognition of his personal sinfulness and the personal perfection of Jesus. And then it's in after those two recognitions that he turns to Jesus for mercy and for welcome. He says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Remember me, Jesus. Won't you accept me, Jesus? Won't you not forget me, Jesus? Won't you remember me? And you see, it's in the remembering that relationship is forged. And it's because this relationship of salvation is forged. Recognition of personal sin, recognition of Jesus' perfection, asking for that perfection into my life, relationship is forged so that remembering into eternity is possible. Does that make sense? Thank you. Thank you. Eternal life is possible when you personally relate to Jesus. The Bible never talks about grandchildren in faith. It only talks about sons of God, daughters of God, not granddaughters and grandsons. Eternal life and a relationship with Christ is not inherited 
through your family relationship. It's only when God adopts you personally into His family. Alright, lastly, number three, eternal life, it plants hope in us. Eternal life weaves in the fabric of your life a hope that may get shaken at times, but it grows over a lifetime. It grows within you to be with Jesus always. In 1 Peter chapter 1, note it down, he, he describes this living hope that comes and that we live in because of Christ. When Jesus responded to the criminal, the criminal says, Jesus, won't you remember me when you come into your kingdom? And by the way, let me invite you now to our Good Friday service. Because when I think about that phrase, uh, remember me when you come into your kingdom, the thing that first always comes into my mind is Leslie McCarty singing that song, Jesus, Remember Me. And I, I can hear it in my head even now. Go away for a moment. <laughs> Jesus says in response, Today, today you will be with me in paradise. This word paradise is a word borrowed from ancient Persian. Persian. It describes different things in the Bible, but in the New Testament it's used in three different passages, and all of them are a way of describing the forever abode, the final dwelling space that's so pleasant for those who are in a relationship with Christ and are remembered by Him. He says, Jesus does, in John chapter 14. You remember last week we talked about how there was this great tension among the disciples because in John chapter 13, He's describing all the stuff that they're not expecting and how they are to trust in Him in, even in they, when they enter into seasons that they don't understand. And, and He finally tells them that he, He's about to leave. And they don't understand. What's going on? And He says to them, Let not your hearts be troubled. Let not your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I'm about to go and I'm going to prepare a place for you. Trust me. Let not your hearts be troubled. I'm physically departing, but spiritually I'm here. In fact, I'm going to be talking in just a minute. Jesus says, about the Holy Spirit and what His role is going to be in your life in the church. Trust me that I'm going to prepare a place and if I go, trust me, I'm going to come back and trust me when you end your life and you close your eyes for the last time and you take your last breath that trust me, Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled. If you're in a relationship with me, you will be remembered and I will come and I will take you so that you can be with me where I am. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. You're not going to be abandoned. You're not going to be forgotten. You will be remembered. Can I get an amen? Amen. Isn't that good news? It is good, good news. That eternal life is made possible because of the cross and resurrection of Jesus. Eternal life is made real in your life as you work through a personal repentance of confessing your sin before the Lord and accepting His perfection and, and cleansing and presence in your life. And then hope is planted in your heart both for the years that you may have left on this earth and even more importantly, for the rest of your life. I love the image if you're to think about your life as a little dot. And you think about 
this dot may represent the 40 years, 50 years, 70 years, 90 years of your life that you may live. And when you compare that to eternal life and the hope of eternal life, this is your life. And eternal life is like you're drawing a line from here that goes on. If my marker longer, I would stretch it. But at the end here, it doesn't stop. There's an arrow at the end because it continues. And this eternal life is what is promised to those who have gone through repentance, have embraced the gift of salvation in Christ Jesus. He has gone to prepare a place for you. Hope of eternal life settles you. It helps settle you in this life. It helps build assurance that it's not based on your goodness. It's not based on your faithfulness, but it's based on the goodness of Christ. And it's based on, based on the faithfulness of Jesus. And so it builds in you a settledness because Christ has done what you need for eternal life and He holds you in His hand. And then there becomes a yearning for it. I, I've been so blessed over the years, both in my own family, for those who have died and, and passed on to glory. I love that expression too, going to glory. People, I've read their stories and how it, it seems at times as people get older and there's a growth and an understanding, a developed understanding of what this eternal life is. We'll give it just a glimpse of it in the Bible. We don't know really a lot about it. We just know it's promised. But what I'm so blessed by are those who who don't just think about it, but they actually begin to long for it. They begin to so look forward to that forever goodness of being in the presence of Christ that they begin to long for it. Songs are sung about it. Prayers are offered about it. Lives are shaped because of it. And yours can be too, as you would begin to actually long for heaven to come. I remember when I was a boy and I was beginning, kind of a teenager, I think, 12, 13, I was beginning to just work out my own theological understanding about some things. And I mentioned having a family, a lot of were older, and I grew up going to funerals a lot. And uh, death is just, for me, just kind of a natural part of life and living. It, it, I think it's added a great perspective to my living. But I remember thinking to my mom and talking to her, I said, Mom, I said, if we're Christians and, and, and we know that there's this great promise of heaven, what as Christians, we should go to a funeral and not even cry. Why are we sad? And she said, what's the Bible say? I don't know. She said, well, what's it say? I said, well, I, what do you mean? She said, it, it does tell us that, that we, we as Christians, we may grieve because the loss of someone important to us in the relationship and as we hold on to that memory, it, it brings sadness. And of course we grieve. But here's what the Bible says. That we do not grieve as those who are without hope. We do not grieve as those who are without hope. You see, this is the hope of eternal life that settles you even in the face of death. It settles you even in the face of uncertainty. Because you don't control your future, but God does. You don't know the end of your life, but God does. You don't know what the transition from this life into the next is like, but God does, and He's promised it for those who have put their faith and trust in Him. Ruth Graham, uh, Billy Graham's wife, she was once driving down the road and uh, went into a, a construction zone that went on for several miles, and 
uh, took several turns of detours following, and at the very end, there was a sign there. It says, construction has now ended. Thank you for your patience. She went home, but she gathered her family, and she said, when I die, that's what I want written on my tombstone. Construction has ended. Thanks for your patience. Men and women, brothers and sisters, we are living our lives being constructed by God. Learning to be patient with each other. And that patience is is able to be extended because of our shared hope in the future of glory. The shared hope that God has prepared an eternal home and space for you to be with Him. Jesus, won't you remember me when you come into your kingdom? Today, you will be with me in paradise. Father, we thank you for this great promise. A promise that has held and settled believers over the centuries. A promise that has allowed courage to to well up in unexpected seasons. And in the face of formidable circumstances. And we thank you that Easter is a picture and a reminder that heaven really is real, that resurrection is real, that the grave does not have the final word over our living. It has been defeated. Death is done away with. Because of Jesus, life is available. Life to the full right here, right now. And life forevermore. We thank you, Jesus, that eternal life is made possible through you and only through you. We thank you that eternal life is is made applicable in our lives as we work through personal repentance. And we thank you that you weave hope for that day and that forever life in our lives as we look to you and you only and put our trust in you, not in ourselves, not in our good works, not in our ability to, to outwork our bad deeds, but it's in taking the forgiveness you offer and applying it to our lives. That's our only hope, and that is the greatest hope of all. May we walk in it, we pray. In this this day, in the name of Jesus, we pray together. Amen. Amen. We are going to sing our final song, and maybe today you're, you're here and you just aren't so sure. You, you hear me talking about confident in what happens after life. And I base that solely on the Scripture and what I believe to be true in the Bible. And I want you to know, if that's not something you're certain about or confident in, but you would like to begin a conversation, I, there's a reason I stand down here when we do uh, invitations. And it's, it's if God is stirring your heart and you want to begin a chat about what that means, about what He might be doing, you may not even understand, but you, you sense something stirring in you and you want to begin a conversation just of exploring what that is. While we sing, I'm going to be standing here. I'll be happy to, to set some time and begin a conversation with you. What's the song we're going to sing? Turn your... Thank you. Would you stand with us and let's sing together.